Hello, everybody. Welcome to Inside the Musical Mind, a new show on Midtown Radio every Monday night at 7 p.m. The goal of this program is to take a deep dive into the why and the how of music by talking with local KW musicians about their craft. My name is Caleb Koo, and I'm super excited to take this trip with you inside the musical mind. For the inaugural episode, I sat down with a fantastic local singer-songwriter, Rosie Samra, to discuss her paths and perspectives regarding music. Rosie is a phenomenal vocalist and a wonderful person, and we had a great conversation covering a massive range of topics from studying for the MCATs all the way to how to beat stage fright by getting angry. But first, here's one of my all-time favorite tracks by local singer-songwriter Rachel Hickey. This is Home. We're here with Rosie Samra. How are you doing today, Rosie? I'm great. Thanks for asking, Caleb. So, first of all, how would you describe your music? Um, I would describe my music as pretty contemporary pop, but I do have a lot of R&B influence. So, I really like the music of Janae Aiko and Daniel Caesar and Summer Walker. So, I try to incorporate those elements, but a lot of it is just fun, girly, bubblegum pop music <laughs> that you can kind of dance to in your bedroom, which is always the music that I've loved. So, yeah. Fantastic. So, w- when did you 
kind of first start singing? When did this kind of whole musical journey begin for you? I started singing when I was really young. So, you know, every I think every kid is just like innately built towards starting to sing. Like it's p- almost part of learning how to talk. Like I know I've seen a lot of my baby cousins grow up and they all start to sing really young. Um, even the ones respectfully who are not good at it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I've been singing since I was really young. Um, but when I started to kind of get into lessons and, and choir, I joined the f- my first choir when I was eight eight years old and you know you do it with all your friends and everybody's having a good time and then you kind of keep going every year Um, and I kept going and then when I was like 10 I kind of realized that maybe we should do some private lessons and my mom was definitely a really big proponent of that too she was very supportive still is super super supportive and was kind of like okay let's try some private lessons so I started doing those when I was like 9 10 um, with a wonderful vocal coach named Giselle Sanderson. She was great. She taught me a lot about breathing techniques and how to sing and, and created a really great founding of techniques for me as a singer. Um, and then I started to take it a lot more seriously when I got into high school. So I was part of a group called Jazz in the Schools that was led by Mary Catherine Pisano, who is still a fantastic singer in the community. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. Um, and she taught me a lot more about fundamentals of jazz which I did not think I would be into at all but turns out a lot of my favorite music stems from jazz like hip-hop and R&B are all uh, stemming from jazz obviously so she had a really important role in me getting my footing into kind of what genres I wanted to perform in and she also developed a lot of really good performance skills in me so I had those singing techniques from a younger age but she helped me reach out to audiences and kind of do a better job connecting with the people that I was singing to Um, and so when I was about 15 I had my first ever like paid gig and that was (laughs) so exciting I remember they handed me the check and it was $200 and I was like I've, I'd never seen $200 like in my life, like in my name. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, Oh my God. And I got this for singing. Like, this is crazy. (laughs) And that's when I was like, Oh, I'm definitely going to keep doing this. So, um, ever since then I've just been, you know, trying to do it a little bit more professionally, got into recording as at 18 and since then, yeah, the rest has been history. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's always the craziest thing. Whenever you get your first gig and then you see that money and you see your name next to it and you're like, I've never earned this much money for doing anything, let alone playing music. And I loved every second of it. Like even though it was kind of tiring, even though the practices were kind of intense, I was like, Oh my God, like this was the best. And there were so many at that gig in particular, um, it was at the KW registry theater was the bright up brothers band. Okay. Um, and they had since moved to California, but I think they came back to KW to visit. So it was a bunch of their original songs and I was performing with some of the biggest jazz singers that I, you know, had ever met in the community and from outside of the community. They had some of them come in from outside of KW and from them, I just got so much wisdom about the genre, performing venues, what it's like to work with professional songwriters. And they really eased my transition into being more of a professional musician which was um something i'm still very grateful for it was really amazing i'll say that's one heck of a first gig man i know (laughs) (laughs) they were like we want a student singer and i i was so excited when they told me i got the part i was like oh my god like this is making me so i was kind of nervous but really excited and and it turned out to be obviously the best possible first gig was there a a fierce competition for that gig Honestly, okay, I'm about to give you some insider information. (laughs) Um, I think MC maybe picked favorites. (laughs) (laughs) So she was like, um, 
she's like, Hey Rosie, like I have an opportunity I want you to try out for. So I tried out for it in front of, um, his name was Andy McPherson. He's actually, oh, I know still, Andy. He's a, yeah, he's a teacher yeah, at St. He's Mary's. a drummer. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. Love, I've played with him a bunch love of times. Him. He's yeah. fantastic. Great guy. Uh, we did a lot of rehearsals at his house actually. Like he had like a home <laughs> studio band kind of thing going on and he was awesome. I knew his whole family. I think I, I knew his daughter Quinn from high school. So mm-hmm. she was really cool too. Um, but yeah, he, she was like, Hey, like I want you to kind of try out for this. Cause they were asking for student singers and I was like, I know somebody so I tried out for it and he was like oh you got it for sure this is awesome and it was just the best feeling ever because MC like jumped up and gave me a hug and I I don't even know how to describe the feeling of when you looked up for some to someone for so long and they're almost like considering you an equal like Mm -hmm. in that moment she was like we're gonna play the same venue and I was (laughs) like you have like 20 plus years of experience and I just turned 15 like this is crazy do you know what I mean absolutely well I feel the same thing because back when I was in uh in high school I was playing in the uh, jazz fm youth big band right yeah and it was the same deal I remember like playing all these massive crazy venues like we Mm -hmm. played corner hall which is the official auditorium for the Royal Conservatory of Music in Toronto mm-hmm. to like 1,200 people. And I was 15 years old. Subtle flex, by the way. Subtle flex. <laughs> no, but, yeah. but it, it was the same feeling, right? Yeah. It's that feeling of like seeing all these people who are so much more experienced than you. And yeah. you feel are on such like a complete different level. And then they believe in you. And they're like, yeah, come play, whatever. It's like, oh my God, this is crazy. Right? Totally. And I also have to say, honestly, like seeing her as a, she's a grown woman obviously you know she has her own thing she has a cat she has a husband she has a house whatever and seeing like she could pay the bills being a musician Mm -hmm. that had never crossed my mind in my entire life unless you were like Beyonce level famous do you know what I mean like I thought the only way you could pay your bills as a singer is if you were also in being invited to the Met Gala do Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so to see someone who was local in the community such an inspiration to me and also was able to like live comfortably and as someone who had never seen that before, it was genuinely life-changing. I was like, you you bought this house with your money? Like, this is crazy. Like, yeah, it was really, really cool at 15 to see all of that. Absolutely. I feel the same way. It's yeah. it's something that, I, I, at least, you know, being in this working musician kind of realm, it's so far outside the general normal expectations of society yeah. that so many people you talk to are like that's a real yeah. job it's like <laughs> yeah. there's people actually doing that and you're like yeah. yeah there's people all over town who are doing that making a living playing music and it's I, it's really incredible i think there are some people who just genuinely don't believe it because they never considered it an option for themselves ah. and so they're like almost upset about it like i remember <laughs> i was at a family friends gathering and he was like oh so i heard you sing professionally now whatever and I was like, oh, I do sing professionally now. And he goes, yeah, they pay you to do that. I said, yeah, they, they pay me to do that. And he goes, sing something for us. So I sang something. Yeah. And, you know, it. thank God I didn't choke. And it went well. And he goes, you know what? Maybe if your schooling doesn't work out, you can go sing at a cabaret. I was like, what is your problem, man? Like, first of all, I loved burlesque. So that would be an honor. Yeah. Like Christina Aguilera and Cher all the way. But also, I think genuinely just some people just never considered it mm-hmm. like it's just so far left field like your parents tell you growing up what do they tell you what can you be you can be doctor engineer or lawyer yep. and lawyers already on the cusp like that that was already <laughs> like third option alternate if you want to be a rebel like musician has never been a serious option for so many people so to to be able to see that at such a young age and mm-hmm. so early in my career genuinely life-changing it was, it was funny I was, I was filling out a form um just a university like post-grad form or something and i was looking through and they had like 1200 jobs listed. they had like yeah. every single engineering you know little yeah. detail every single science thing and whatever they didn't have a single freelance musician option 
which is crazy. Because, I mean, it's like, it's a big a, industry. You can make a living. You can make a living doing yeah. it. And it's not even like it's a tiny little thing. Like, it's a pretty, you know, sizable industry. But yeah. it just never crossed any of their minds, I no, suppose. No, it doesn't. And I'm being so genuine. Like, people don't realize the impact of local artistry as well. Like, like I said, you don't have to be invited to the Met Gala in order to make a living off of music. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's backpedal a little. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we started off, we started off with your family, right? So. Yes. What kind of music was, was kind of around when you were growing up? That is such a good question. I'm glad you asked. So growing up, like my family is Middle Eastern. We're from Syria. So my dad uh, would have this family tradition that we would do. Every Sunday morning, we would have breakfast together because Sunday was the only day that my dad didn't work. So we would all get together and make this huge spread of all these like Middle Eastern foods. It was so delicious. And the whole time there was a rule. You are not allowed to play any music except for music <laughs> by this one artist. Her name is Fadus. And anyone who's Middle Eastern knows exactly who that is. She is well known to be it's very strange also i've never seen this in in canada mm -hmm. but it's well known in all the middle eastern countries that if it's morning time you play fedus like fedus <laughs> does not play in the evening she's not playing the afternoon she plays in the morning mm -hmm. and um kathum who is another very influential artist is only played in the evenings she's really? not played in the morning oh wow it's very strange <laughs> to be so honest with you but fedus is the really big one so yeah we would not a week would go by where I didn't listen to Fedus for at least three hours in the mm -hmm. morning. And because of that, and because of my dad's influence, obviously I developed a very strong affinity for her specifically. Um, and she is, she is um, very like, not to be rude, but she's very old now. She's mm. like almost ancient and yep. she has <laughs> such a legacy behind her. So when I say she's an inspiration, it's like, yeah, me and the other billion people who listen to her, but still. For sure. Um, so growing up, she was a huge influence. Um, also in my family, a lot of Arabic music was just playing in general. So Nancy Hashem was another really big Arabic pop star who I loved, still mm -hmm. love to this day. Abdul Halim Hafiz, who was really great. Um, and then in English, my sisters and I would watch a lot of Disney Channel. So for us, it was like <laughs> huge 180, by the way. But for us, it was like we loved Selena Gomez and Demi Lovato. Mm -hmm. And side story, there was a movie called Princess Protection Program. Okay. And I loved Demi Lovato and my sister Summer loved Selena Gomez. Yeah. And in the movie, Demi Lovato's name was Princess Rosie. And my name is Princess <laughs> Rosie. So that was crazy. It was like the best feeling ever. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is meant the universe for me. You. It's giving you a sign. I'm meant to be a, a singing princess <laughs> on the Disney Channel. So yeah, um, a lot of like teen pop music as well as weirdly like Arabic music from the 1950s. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was a great combination of influences. That's so me. fascinating because I don't think I can think of any other artists, you know, in in the kind of more English realm where. <laughs> where they're so universal, like in terms of uh, everyone knowing yeah. them and they're specified to a certain time of day. I've never heard yeah, of that. Yeah, and Feirouz specifically, they they play her music when they're selling gasoline in the morning. <laughs> it is so strange. And I didn't learn that until I went back to Syria in 2018. That's such a, a strange, I was, like... I was like, what is this? And they were like, well, you're not allowed to play. Like, it's almost like, it's not legal, but it's almost legal. Like, if you play it in the evening, people are like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, that's really weird. Oh it was gosh. so strange. <laughs> Wow. I know. It was really weird. Different cultures, different <laughs> different practices. Okay. So then, um, so after that, I guess kind of when you went into high school, you said you mentioned jazz, right? Yeah. So then I would imagine you got probably expanded your friend group. 
when you got into high school and you started meeting more people with more influences. Yeah. So, so how did that kind of, you know, mm-hmm. cater and change your music taste there? I So in high school, I had one other friend who was really into music as well, Hiba, who mm-hmm. does a lot of my accompaniment to this day. Um, and I did not meet her through the jazz, but I did meet a lot more people through the jazz program who were adults. So like I mentioned, the influences like of the jazz singers that I had met at that gig, there was a really amazing... Um, piano player his name was Don he also really influenced Mm -hmm. me to a very large extent um, when I was younger but in terms of the actual group jazz in the schools um, the other students were not in my year so I would talk to them here and there and you know they were cool and whatever but uh, for some reason and I'm not sure why it just influenced me a little bit differently that I influenced them and they were generally older right they were generally older Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah there were also other music groups where I met other people. So like under Miss Brenneman, Miss Connolly, Josh Hill. So he's, he's pretty big in the community still, Mr. Hill. Um, under them, I kind of met some more people, but mostly jazz in the schools was the main musical program that I was a part of. And what would you say were some kind of big artists that really opened your eyes to jazz in that way? To jazz? Oh, I have to go with like the most basic answer. Probably Ella. I, like you know exactly what I'm gonna say yeah <laughs> I like Frank Sinatra like <laughs> I love them I love Louis Armstrong like it's pretty basic stuff but um it was really really cool when I found out that Broadway was linked to jazz because mm-hmm. I'm such a huge like Broadway fan yeah um so yeah that that was really cool too to be able to see like uh Julie Andrews and all of that and and be like oh they're jazz too like that was really really cool as a teenager yeah and it's fascinating because a lot of people don't see that connection anymore right yeah, a lot they of don't. people don't really understand that all these old show tunes were what became the language of jazz all these jazz standards right yeah people don't realize the influence like how blues and r&b turn into hip-hop and rap now absolutely like they wouldn't if you ask somebody who listens to rap they probably wouldn't understand that that stems from the from like this huge mother music thing that is jazz Mm -hmm. it's pretty crazy crazy. yeah Yeah, it is it's crazy well that's fantastic we we learned a lot about kind of your origins and singing (laughs) and some of your backgrounds and you know what your music is um why don't we hear some of your music what would you like to play for us okay so the first song i want to play for you is it's called crazy i wrote it when i was 18 um i released it when i was 19 and it's one of my no i released it when i was 18 it's one of my favorite songs i've ever Mm -hmm. written it's so like girl kicking her feet like excited about a crush it's really sweet and um yeah i'm really really happy with it fantastic (laughs) here's crazy by rosie samra We could take it down a notch and maybe take it slow Cause I'm not trying to rush you Tell me what it is you want We'll take it personal Boy, I'm crazy I've been searching for someone that's worth it 
back with Rosie Samra. You're listening to Inside the Musical Mind with Caleb Koo on Midtown Radio. Now, Rosie, yes. as an artist, what would be some lifetime goals for you? Well, I want to start off by saying I don't understand why when you ask an artist this or a local artist this, they feel the need to cap themselves off. Like they kind of go, oh, well, you know, right here is fine. Or like, I'll, you know, maybe in a year I'll do this. I'm going to go ahead and say I would like to achieve the impossible. Like I'm just going to aim for the stars and land on the moon, hopefully. Honestly, as big as humanly possible as my career could go, that's Mm -hmm. my ultimate goal. I think, honestly, if I just keep shooting higher and higher and higher, I'll end up somewhere I'm really happy with. So I can't say I have like a solid definitive goal, but honestly, something that seems unrealistic and ridiculous I would say is probably where I would like to, where I would like to take my next steps to be honest well I mean if you don't believe in yourself whoever will right exactly well my mom but exactly <laughs> <laughs> my mom is such a big fan of that and she also um she's told me and another friend my friend Mina has told me this really good advice which is that if you tell people your goals and they're not laughing mm-hmm. your your goals are not big enough yeah which is a really great you know piece of insight so Definitely, I think my goal is like my next, hopefully next week, I'll get invited to like the Grammys or something. That's how big I'm dreaming. I'm definitely dreaming really, really big. And that's what I'm expecting to get to. Oh, we all heard the song. It's possible. I <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess mm-hmm. specifically, would there be any uh, maybe like collaborations or maybe like any like historic venues or anything that you'd like to do? Ooh. Yeah, if we're going big, if we're just dreaming huge, <laughs> definitely Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden. Um, I've been to the Rogers Center in Toronto. Yeah. Like I've seen, I saw One Direction there. Actually. Oh, wow. Let me not date myself, but I saw that? One Direction when they were still together. <laughs> <laughs> I saw oh, them boy. in their last tour when Zayn had left. It was so awkward. <laughs> it was fun. I went with my sister. 
that would be a cool spot to yeah. <laughs> perform in. Yeah, Roger Center. Um, Roger Center. I have, honestly, I have already done quite a few venues in KW. Like, I did the KW Registry Theater. I did mm-hmm. the museum. Or, sorry, not the museum. The Center for Performing Arts, like, in downtown Kitchener. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, Conrad, remember. right? Yeah. Yep done that um been there done that so (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i would love to perform at those big venues i would love to go to those big um big award shows but ultimately like this is gonna sound so corny but ultimately i do it for the music so like whatever it it takes me to like i'm i'm just really enjoying the songwriting and performing process so Mm -hmm. far (laughs) and then would there be any artists that you really want to collaborate with i forgot okay so my favorite producer of all time do you want to try to guess it (sighs) I don't even know if you know any producers I, off the top of your head. I'm not a pop producer guy. No. I'm not a pop guy. Okay. <laughs> I probably wouldn't know. I'll give you a hint. He worked a lot with Nelly Furtado, Justin Timberlake in the early years. It's Timbaland. Timbaland. I oh. love Timbaland. <laughs> I would literally lay my life down for that man. <laughs> Mirrors by Justin Timberlake is the greatest song yep. ever, ever created. Um, so to work with him and then to do a complete 180, my favorite songwriter of all time is Hozier. Okay. So what do you think about a Hozier-Timbaland collab? I think that would be insane. That would be crazy. That, it would be like <laughs> <laughs> the most devastating R&B inspired like folklore tale. I'm trying to imagine it. And it would no, just be, they like, wouldn't just work madness. well <laughs> But like those are people I definitely draw inspiration from, even though, I, you know, I haven't worked with them, obviously. But like mm-hmm. to draw inspiration from them is really cool, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I wish I could play guitar. I would be I would do those finger picking things. You told me about how it feels to play Hozier. Yeah. He's a challenge for sure. Yeah. Because well, you know what? It's there's so many artists like that where they make this beautiful music that sounds like, you know, very nice and flowing and harmonic. And, you know, it sounds like it would be easy to play because it sounds so nice and smooth. Yeah. Right. But then you actually start playing it. And he's got all these time signatures and he's got these all these weird voices and everything. You're like, damn. And then man. it makes you feel about like how talented are they that they made it. That seem they made so it seem easy. so easy. And the fact that they made it a hit song yeah. that people sing along to and it's in like a 5-4 or something right yeah. like, what the heck how did you pull this off this is crazy I don't know I honestly the the joke is that I don't even understand half the words you're talking about when you talk about guitar <laughs> stuff and I really wish I could play like you're kind of making me want to play even more now but yeah those people would be crazy to collab with which I would love mm-hmm. um I can't imagine anyone that I wouldn't want to like yeah. I, I'm thinking about artists that I'm like oh I would never do anything with that person oh I will say one that I think okay. is kind of controversial right. I love her to death, but I would never collab with Ariana Grande. Really? I get compared to her a lot. That is true. I can see that. Yeah. And I feel like because here's the here's the joke of it all is like her range is way bigger than mine. So if we get on a track (laughs) together, it's just going to be Ariana Grande and dollar store Ariana Grande. Like I can't do that. Do you know what I mean? It would end up being like a a vocal duel up and then you'd go higher and then she'd keep going higher. uh, (laughs) A vocal duel where I lose. I would never (laughs) sign up for that. Hell no. (laughs) That's a fight you don't want to (laughs) pick. And I don't think I don't think Taylor Swift would ever want to collab with me because I don't think she's a big fan of. Uh, working with artists who kind of sound like me if that makes sense uh, like yeah she usually goes for like like phoebe bridgers i sound nothing like phoebe yep. bridgers like um heim and mm-hmm. that like she goes for a very different sound um which is great so that's I don't, true i, don't I guess i've never thought about that i think about it constantly so thank you for asking <laughs> are but, you a swifty uh, i love taylor swift. <laughs> <laughs> i love taylor swift i love folklore and evermore mm-hmm. those ones uh, kind of remind me of hosier a little bit so uh, adjacent um yeah, I love Taylor Swift. Don't think she would ever work with me. Mm-hmm. But um, anyone else, basically, anyone else, I'd be like, yeah. I also think it'd be really cool to work with a rapper. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? I could see you singing like the chorus on something, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like I have a good like range in genres. Like I could do pop or I could do R&B. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, or kind of like a whatever Rihanna and Eminem have going on. <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> yeah, that would be really fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so... That's kind of covering like your your ultimate career goal, right? Like your, your dream, you know, <laughs> yeah. what's happening. But 
what if you had to live a life without music? You had no music at all. You couldn't do music. What do you think your other artistic outlet would be or just general outlet in life? Well, this is assuming that I never started in music to begin with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think like right now, God forbid, if I just like lost my voice forever... I still don't think I'd be able to give it up. Like, I think I would, I think I would honestly, yeah, I would go into like lighting or stage production. (laughs) I just love being there so much. Mm -hmm. I would, I would literally be the person who pulls the curtains. Mm -hmm. Like I've fallen in love so much with the industry, which is such a cliche thing to say, but I don't care. But if I had been born without the ability to sing or Mm -hmm. the ability to sing the, the way that I do, and you know, maybe I had just learned violin for a year or two or something. And I just never went into music long term. I think I would, probably lean towards being in academia long term Mm -hmm. i for context as you know i do um i did just graduate from the university of waterloo i had a or i got a degree in um honor science with a specialty in medical physiology Mm -hmm. and another minor in islamic studies so i really love being a student like i love studying i love talking with professors and doing research i think it's amazing Mm -hmm. um and i think if i hadn't had music in general i would either go into medicine or maybe I would do like a PhD, maybe a professor type thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I've never been a great teacher, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. But something that requires many, many years of school, I would love to be able to do. Mm-hmm. I also think it would be just so funny if I did like a complete 180 and became like a professional, like Juilliard trained ballet dancer. That, that would be, be that would be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I would ever have the discipline or dietary restriction for that. Like I just eat way too much. I could never fit into a ballerina skirt. <laughs> but um, I think something something that would require like over 10 years of school, I would mm-hmm. I would be so down for because I also love being a student so that yeah. is funny because you know you do meet a lot of artists who, who do like learning but that is a yeah. being i don't meet many artists who are very into the strict academia right? yeah and i do blame my parents for that <laughs> <laughs> they definitely raised me in such a way that it was like you know you have to be like i genuinely okay this is gonna sound so messed up but i genuinely until i was in high school I thought it was a requirement that everyone gets a college or university degree. <laughs> oh like I God. thought it was like, okay, the government of Ontario requires you to get a high school degree, right? Yeah. And then they also require you, you to require get a post-secondary. Post <laughs> and I was like, I just, I just thought every, so when I heard I, there was like this boy at a different university that, uh, or sorry, at a different high school that I knew of through a friend. Mm-hmm. And he told me, no, I'm not going to university. And I said, oh, you're taking gap year. And then you're doing yeah. university. He said, no, I'm never going to do university. I was like, but how will you live? Like, how will you be alive? Will they let you do that? And so, yeah, just just to put into perspective, I was a little bit sheltered growing up, definitely very uh, spoiled and advantaged in that regard. Like, I just thought everybody's parents paid for their university, which is a ridiculous thing to say, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I that was always the case for me. Like, I have never imagined a life where I don't go back to school. Even now, as a recent grad, like, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to go back to school. I just don't know for what. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. that's, it's fascinating because it kind of goes back to what we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier in terms of, you know, how everyone lives in their own little bubbles, yeah. right? And so how there's some things which are completely unfathomable to us, yeah. but are completely normal and accepted in other things, right? Just like a career as a musician is completely totally. unfathomable. It's the same yeah. thing in that moment for you, yeah. right? It was completely unfathomable life without academia right yeah oh totally and it was unfathomable to like my family too mm-hmm. who are who are again very supportive of my music career yeah but they just had never considered it as like a when they heard i was getting paid for my first show they were like <laughs> what are you t- like five dollars like what are you talking about and i was like no they paid me two hundred dollars they were like what like they were just as shocked as i was oh man yeah, yeah. i've gotten some i've gotten some checks that'll make people like oh my god it's like, crazy you can do- maybe i should pick up guitar like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah very inspirational stuff <laughs> absolutely well, yeah. that's really interesting then thank you okay so how do you find 
the balance was between music because you said you started recording when you're 18 so yeah. I suppose that's you were taking it seriously during high school yeah but then that's probably when you kind of ramped it up a little bit more right yeah so in high school I I genuinely think I got a taste of that first gig and I was like mm-hmm. oh my god I'm never so that was the moment that, that was, was like the, it was like oh, I don't want to compare it to drugs but it was like doing <laughs> drugs for the first time I was like oh I, I have to do that you again. felt like, the high man you got I was stuck like, on I'm it. never gonna not do that like yeah. there has to be a case where I can do that still so I got a little bit more into it um in university or the summer before university started so between grade 12 and university mm-hmm. I had been writing music since I was like a teenager which was by the way very bad like oh, yeah. the music I wrote Let's see. You, oh, you, can't, you can't burn them. You got to keep them, but you no, can't. No, I can burn ever... them. <laughs> I think honestly, like I, they deserve to be burned. Like the music was so bad when I was yeah. like, I was like 15, 16 writing songs, like crying in my room. We all room. have journals like, of bad oh, yeah. early teenager so, songs. So which I like to think I've gotten better since then. Yeah. But I had been writing and um, there was one song, like I found this beat online. Mm-hmm that I really liked. So I reached out to the producer of the beat who was a KW local. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hey, I really like the song. Like, I know you're a local to KW. A couple of my friends actually know you personally. Mm -hmm. Um, how much would it be to buy, to buy this beat? Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't know anything about music or royalties or how much it would cost. Like, and neither did he, to be honest. (laughs) He was just like a high schooler who liked to make beats. But I was like, I really want to sing over this. And I did. And I wrote Sunday afternoon, which was my first ever song that I released. Um, and definitely I had to learn some things the hard ways, like which recording studios are not worth your time. Yep. Um, that sometimes home recording studios are actually way better quality than... Um, especially for tracking vocals. Yeah. Especially, which I was very shocked by because I, you know, you always see on TV like those people in those little recording booths. Yep. And I've been to so many studios now where you go in those little booths. And I genuinely believe that the home studios that I've been to, which honestly I've only been to two, mm-hmm. but the home studios that I've been to are significantly higher quality. Oh yeah, because people put their heart and soul into that. Like that's in their home and that's their work. They mm-hmm. are already trained professionals. Yep. Um, but you know I had to learn that the hard way. Uh, wrote my song over that and I recorded it, released it. I was really proud of myself and. I'm, I still work with some of the people that I worked with at the beginning. So my friend Angad, mm-hmm. um, very dear friend of mine, still does the photography. He's done the photography since the first day. Um, and he's really influential in my cover art and how I visualize like the promo for the songs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, sorry, I forgot what the question was. No, 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 <laughs> I, I got I, so off track. Absolutely. No, I was, I was yeah. going to think about, so the beginning of your professional career, yeah. how did that kind of balance with your your life and your yeah. school? Okay. Because right? that's always a, a big thing I find, right? What's that work-life balance kind of for an artist? To be so honest with you, it like wasn't really a balance for a while. For a (laughs) while, it was just like, it was hot and cold. Like I would go stretches of weeks where I would just be studying. And like, I I don't think I've ever studied alongside you specifically, but you can ask anyone who does choose to do that, which Mm -hmm. is definitely a choice if you've ever chosen to study next to me. Like I will be ripping out my hair, like (laughs) clawing at my nails. Like I can't, if Caleb can confirm in the studio that my nails are horrendous and it's because I bite them when I'm studying like, like a madman. Like Mm -hmm. I literally like tear off my skin it's terrible it's disgusting i'm sorry but like i get really into it Mm -hmm. and i can do that for weeks on end like (laughs) surviving off of water and sunlight (laughs) like (laughs) just studying nonstop. and then at the end of these stretches of weeks i would be like oh i really miss doing music so Mm -hmm. i would do it for like a day or two and to be honest with you if i could go back maybe i would increase that number a little bit because Mm -hmm. i did miss out on some great opportunities like I, I wish I had been able to do more gigs or I wish I had been able to go to more, um, more music themes or sorry, 
uh, events in general because mm-hmm. I just I really love them, but I didn't give myself the opportunity for that. So I'm still working on the balance. Yeah. I I used to think that it was a good balance, but looking back, I think I could have made more time for music and the things that I love. So I'm still working on that balance. Mm-hmm. But um, let's just say I never let my grades falter because of it. I would never ever put music before academia when I was in university or high school. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I see that a lot. At least for me personally, yeah. I always found that I did regret. I regretted studying too much and not playing yeah. more guitar. <laughs> and it's kind of. You kinda, feel that way? I felt that way. You have like the most insane musical schedule I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like your well, days was, every single day. I suppose, but I could have been like that back a couple years ago, mm-hmm. right? I could have jump started my career a little bit. So I do always have those moments where it's like, well, you know, the extra, you know, couple percentage going from like a, an 89 to a 93. Yeah. That didn't do anything. <laughs> right yeah. it, it was my entrance was the same at the university all that stuff ended up being the oh, same totally fair and if yeah. I spent that time that I spent you know grinding in calculus in pre-calc to try and get yeah. those marks yeah. if I spent that practicing bebop skills yeah no, <laughs> maybe totally. I would have been farther along right I mean honestly I feel like you're already pretty far in your career but <laughs> I totally see where you're coming from and I will also say that a big thing that held me back was like the social aspect of it I mm-hmm. was I had really bad stage fright for a okay. really long time so um, because of that, sometimes I was okay with avoiding gigs or mm-hmm. I was okay with not taking them because even though I really wanted the opportunity, once I would get there, I would get so nervous and thank God that has changed a lot over the years. But that was also a thing that was holding me back from having a healthier balance with music. In my oh, life. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's always a big thing, but just cause uh, a lot of the times your, your formative years as an artist are in those kind of late teenage years yeah right when you're transitioning exactly. to being a young adult and yeah. in addition to just music and artistry there's also so much life things that are happening totally. right so there's a, a massive intersection in, you know confidence and yeah. you know self-identity oh, in, yeah. in between being an artist and all these different life things that are happening during you during that those and times figuring in your life, out right? like what you want to do with your life absolutely and the people around you i don't know if you've run into this yet but the people around me are getting married like <laughs> yeah i have that too like and it's it's a little <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, really weird. Oh, well, that's because you have a very uh, an older friend group. That's true. Yeah, I will say as a 21 year old, I'm going to turn 22 in a couple of days, by the way. But <laughs> as a 21 year old um, female, watching all your friends getting married is absolutely jarring. Yeah. Because you're like, what are you doing? You're a, a strange little girl. Moment. Like, <laughs> you're a child bride. Get out of this. <laughs> It's a very strange time. Yeah. I have that. Most of my friends are a little bit older, so it's yeah. kind of, it, it's kind of, it makes me go into crisis because I forget that I'm younger. Yeah. So I'm like, oh no, I'm like, in, should I be having kids? my life's going, away. oh wait, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. You're so good. You're like, I'm you cool. just turned 21. I just turned 20. You just turned 20. <laughs> you're so fine. Yeah. <laughs> you're fine. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Another song? Yes, what please. are we hearing this time? Actually, in in terms of the theme of being all alone or kind of like feeling like you're figuring out your life. What a segue. Uh, what it's like we segue. planned it. <laughs> it's called On My Own. I wrote it um, a little while back. And it's one of those songs that I feel like even if no one ever listens to it again, I'm so, so proud of it. It's one of the songs that I genuinely think cemented my own abilities as, as a songwriter. Oh, that's fantastic. Let's give it a listen. Get 
back you were listening to on my own by rosie samra so rosie i understand you have a new song coming out i do have a new song coming out so it's called hurting um it's a bit of a bait and switch because the song is more of like a it's a little bit more upbeat than it sounds like it's not a piano ballad or anything like that um but it is still pop so like my other songs it's still pop but this one's a lot more contemporary r&b so think positions by ariana grande inspired where Mm -hmm. there's quite a bit of trap influence but it's not overwhelming and (laughs) a voice that definitely does not fit trap music but Mm -hmm. i really love the song i'm so proud of it i'm so excited for it to come that's fantastic thank you so i guess kind of jumping off like your description of your own music was kind of like poppy bubblegum you know like r&b influenced how do you feel pop music has kind of changed and evolved well i think that r&b specifically has changed the most Mm -hmm. in what people consider r&b so like i said earlier one of or a few of my biggest influences like ever in music are janae aiko daniel caesar summer walker and sizza as well Mm -hmm. so all of those artists are considered r&b artists to an extent and if you dig around in their discographies you could definitely find a couple songs that would be classified as r&b back in the 90s mm-hmm. but for the most part if you were to go back to the 90s specifically and put all those songs there those would not count as r&b at all mm-hmm. like the influence is just so so distant now compared to how it was back in the 90s like i was saying or even the early 2000s where 
all of it has become kind of muddied. But I will say, as someone who pulls from several genres for inspiration, I like that it's become muddied. Like, I like that we have so many more intersections between pop and R&B and hip-hop and even jazz Mm -hmm. and even some Broadway genres. Like, uh, Ariana Grande did a track in 2016 called Greedy, Mm -hmm. where everybody was listening to it. And I was like, this this could literally be in a Broadway musical. Like, it's so Broadway. Um, And I love that. I love that we're kind of crossing those lines and blurring the lines a little bit because... I think the more that we meld some of these genres together, the more really incredible Frankenstein songs we can come up with, which uh, that's where I like to live. That's where I like my music to live. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really fascinating, even just the, you know, R&B itself, because mm-hmm. if you think what you know, R&B is, it's rhythm and blues. Yeah. And you think of the original, what they called R&B was the Rolling Stones. Right, that's what was okay. originally described as, as R and B back yeah. in you know the fifties, the sixties, and, and then in the seventies, that in the eighties, that's when it kind of morphed into the more, mm-hmm. you know, like I guess kind of like smooth soul. Almost, there it is, yeah, right? kinda it's like kind of like Sade vibes. Yeah, yeah. right. That's that's kind of when that that change happened, right? Mm-hmm. But it's really fascinating because you think of the original origins of what R and B means. It's it's changed so much. Yeah, and I'm very biased in this, but I like what it is right now more than I've ever liked it in the past. Like mm-hmm. I've I've dug back in, in the records to listen to some older R&B and I have to say I like modern R&B more which is I think blasphemous to say but I don't care <laughs> I, I really like contemporary R&B I really like those artists and I really like how much they're changing um, the music industry as a whole like how how we look at different genres and how we listen to different genres mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of the biggest overarching question is like th- there's very few artists who stay within the domain of one genre anymore yeah Right. Like back, you know, even in the 90s, you had artists who were very clearly defined as, you know, specific genres. Yeah. Right. But now I I find everyone has so many different influences and so many different, you know, things that have come into their music that it's very hard to define something as just one genre. Totally. And I'm sure some some people who are, you know, classical enthusiasts or people who are very big on drawing those lines. I like to call them music snobs are very upset about that. Mm -hmm. But. I really like it. Like I said earlier, like I really like that we're melding the genres. I really like that we're blurring the lines. I don't think that anyone should have precedence over another person just because they like more of this genre than other. A lot of people, a lot of people turn their noses up at pop, pop mm-hmm. music in general. Oh, you listen to pop. Oh, you listen to Taylor Swift. First of all, Taylor Swift's amazing, so <laughs> shut up. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, like I just don't understand why you would take something as incredible as music and turn it into something that you could be so snobby about. Mm-hmm. I don't I will never understand the pop shaming. Pop music is incredible. It's literally popular music. Like yeah. it's popular for a reason. Most people really like it. And it's fine if you don't, but it's not fine to shame other people for their taste in music. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think the fascinating thing, too, is how pop music has changed even just in our lifetimes, even yeah. from like the 2010s till now, because you think how much radio play has has significantly decreased oh, totally, uh, compared to yeah. what it used to be. And I, I find personally when I'm talking to people that mm-hmm. songs from maybe like uh, the, the mid to late 2000s up to like 2015, 2016, everybody knows. Right, yeah. all that, that the Katy Perry, the oh the, right, totally you know, the universal the pop music. exactly. There's yeah. that universal pop music from that era, but then past that, I find things because I guess that's when streaming kind of took off a little bit more. Yep. You find that there's less of that unified. Everybody knows those same songs, Absolutely. yeah. Right, and it's really fascinating because it shows just how important radio was in creating what the traditional definition of popular music was. Right, and a pop star was what exactly a pop star yes, was. Yeah. what a pop star was, yeah. and it's it's fascinating now because everything is so niche. Every genre is niche. You can find whatever music you'd like to. You don't have to listen to whatever DJ chooses to play on the radio. Absolutely, which is definitely a double-edged sword. It has simultaneously, like streaming itself has simultaneously made it 
infinitely easier and more difficult to be a successful musician and mm-hmm. that if you're whoop, <laughs> if you're <laughs> considering success somewhat monetarily you will not make any money from streaming like mm-hmm. the the numbers are ridiculously low oh absolutely um but if you're considering success as outreach you know a streaming artist someone who doesn't have access to advertising or promotion outside of their own social media has a bigger chance of hitting it off on like becoming tiktok famous or whatever mm-hmm. um than they would have had if you had to be signed to a big record label back in in 2015 yep so it's changing so rapidly. And also what you were talking about was kind of like the, the changing of pop music itself. I feel like there's a phenomenon like TikTok, TikTokification, mm-hmm. if you will, where artists will create music that are almost like a conglomeration of snippets mm-hmm. that would sound good in a TikTok video yes. or an Instagram reel because that's what you know, what media has become Mm -hmm. these short little people have very short attention spans now. So people make these songs where they have really great one liners, but just back to back to back to back in hopes that someone will pick it up and make a viral sound because that viral sound will ensure like a prosperous career because it's ridiculous. It gets ridiculously popular. Obviously. Yeah. And that's the fascinating intersection of music and life and life and music, right? How, how all these trends in culture and social media and stuff can really affect the music that we make and the music we make affects that. Yeah, totally. They right. kind of mirror back this on each other. This symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Oh, hey, yeah. biology term. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, completely. They definitely reflect on one another. Mm-hmm. I can't say I'm a big fan of TikTokification. I don't I don't like it. I think it takes away from the artistic integrity of artists. Like, I also just think in general, because we live in a society where people have to make money to make a living, mm-hmm. musical artistry is always going to be limited and defined by that. Like, people are always going to go for things that make them successful um if they're not already Mm -hmm. and so people who are able to have artistic integrity and creativity the only people who are permitted to do that are people who are already successful Mm -hmm. so the people who are already at the top are able to break these boundaries and and try new things because they can always fall back on the discography that's had their back their whole careers but people who are new artists when they go to kind of cross those boundaries when they go to try new things it's a lot riskier with less chance of successful outcome Mm -hmm. because they don't have anything to fall back on and so if that doesn't work out what do they have do you Mm -hmm. know what i mean and that's something that i think has always really bugged me especially about the modern way that we stream and listen to music Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's the fact that yeah if you don't have a footing already it's hard to yeah it's very difficult it takes a lot of confidence to try and do something unique exactly Um, and if you do it and it's great you know it takes off like lana del rey for example back mm -hmm. in the day like who was doing it like her do you know what i mean yeah and so she kind of took off but um that's like a one in a million story like how many other people have tried something strange or niche and it hasn't worked out for them Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah Yeah. (laughs) all the names you don't know of (laughs) yeah okay so knowing all this and having all this wisdom (laughs) now about music and and the you know the kind of industry and how things go if you could go back in time to when you first started pursuing this professionally, right? Mm-hmm. Would you choose to tell yourself everything you know now? Or would you choose to let yourself go through all these, you know, the trials and tribulations and the mistakes that kind of brought you to where you are today? Well, if I could go back in time and tell my younger self anything, I would tell her to invest in Bitcoin. Like, I want to be a billionaire right now. <laughs> you know, that would be ma- that would make it easier to be an artist. It would I make would it easier to do anything. It would make me easier to, like, sit on my couch, like, just yep. to have, like, a couple extra million in the bank. But um, realistically, I don't, I don't think I would. I have a very strong principle about this, actually. So I am a bit religious, so mm-hmm. I obviously believe in destiny and fate and what's written and all of that. 
But I will also say that unless I believed that things right now in my life were so horrendously bad, like ca- like catastrophic, yep. apocalypse level bad, <laughs> I would not say a word to my past self. Just I let it be. I would let it be because yeah. I think the mistakes that have happened have led me to the place that I am mm-hmm. um, and the person that I am, I meant to say. But I will say like a lot of those mistakes, as cheesy as it sounds, have fundamentally made me the artist that I am. Mm -hmm. I remember I was 16 and I went to this audition and you had like a minute to sing acoustic or sorry, acapella, excuse me. Yep. So I got up there and I had been practicing this Whitney Houston song and I was like, oh, I know I sound fire on this Whitney Houston song. I I went up, I I started at the wrong key. There was no backing track, you know, and I couldn't make eye contact with these people. And it was so nerve wracking because I was so nervous and I didn't know what I was doing. And so afterwards, I had to kind of listen to this panel of judges go one by one and tell me, like, those shoes were too big to fill. You don't have the capabilities of singing Whitney Houston, which now, as someone who has gigged with you, you know (laughs) damn well that I can sing Whitney Houston any day of the week. (laughs) But uh, at the time, it filled me with this kind of bitterness and anger that surprisingly for the next year and a half-ish... I used for every single audition. So anytime I would feel myself getting nervous, I would just get pissed off about that audition. And then it would <laughs> give me the confidence that I needed for that, for that upcoming gig. And some like that kind of whittled its way into reducing a lot of my stage fright, thankfully, because I wouldn't be able to be an artist now if, if I still had that. Mm-hmm. So that mistake that really, really devastated me at the time and like had me sobbing for three hours. Yeah. That mistake genuinely positively impacted, um, my me as an artist years and years later mm-hmm. and i could come up with a million examples of that and i could come up with a million examples of mistakes that didn't benefit me whatsoever and oh yeah <laughs> have only like you know had a negative impact on me but looking back i wouldn't have changed anything but the main takeaway is to beat stage fright you just be angry yeah <laughs> you just can't stop. i do this thing where i plant my feet i don't even focus on the breathing because everyone's like oh focus on the no that's bs okay everybody everybody <laughs> lies about that you plant your feet and you think about somebody that you hate. Okay. And you think about somebody that you hate and they're listening to you sing and they want you to flop so bad. <laughs> they want you to mess up so bad and you just think, oh, you know what? I'm going to do amazing just so this person can have a bad day because I hate him so much. Oh, man. I think about this guy that I used to know. Oh, he's a terrible guy. Yeah. I think about him and, and I'm just like, if he was in the crowd right now, he would have to admit <laughs> that I sound fire. Like, he would have to admit it. So, yeah, I would say anger and resentment are really good for stage fright. Genuinely. Like, I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Life hack for sure. And it's funny because I've, I've heard that perspective from so many different, I've, I've heard so many different perspectives on how to beat stage fright because some people yeah. take it like that and some people take it in the complete opposite direction. No, <laughs> I don't like that because if I'm trying to be peaceful and meditate, I like, no, that's not the energy you need for like a live gig. You need to have energy that's like, it's coming out of you. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. No one's hiring me to sing Adele's ballads. People are hiring me to sing I Want to Dance with Somebody. Yeah. So I got to bring that kind of upbeat level of energy and those those good vibes and even if that <laughs> starts off in the form of a passion for hatred <laughs> you know it can bloom into a great energy is energy motivation is motivation totally right? and you know that as a psychology student of absolutely yeah. <laughs> so yeah i would say um i wouldn't change anything really yeah i wouldn't change anything so if you were to give anyone any advice mm. what would you give them just vocally you know music wise life advice Ooh, that's a good question wide net Okay. Uh, I would say don't do what I did and box yourself in. Like I wanted to go into medicine for Mm -hmm. most of my life. And then this year, all of a sudden I just, I just snapped and I just changed my mind. I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I don't think this is what's meant for me. And I was really stubborn and I kind of, prior to that, I was really stubborn. 
And I was like, no, I'm not hearing anybody else out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to med- school, medical school. That's final. I don't care what anyone else says. Yep. And I think looking back, if I had just been a little bit less committed to something that I felt like I was forcing myself into, I would have had a more enjoyable time. Like I should have just tried to live in the moment and figured out what I actually liked. Just because you like a lot of aspects of something doesn't mean that it's what you're meant to do. Mm-hmm. And I really also believe in this kind of letting things happen uh, mentality. Yep. Like I did so many things in my life for so long that felt like I was swimming against an like a down. What is it? Swimming upstream. And swimming like, upstream. Yeah, exactly. Swimming upstream. And it was so exhausting. Like everything I did, every, every effort that I had just, you know, was not working out for me. And it was so frustrating. And then at one point this year, I just hit a critical level of like burnout. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm just going to do whatever is destined for me. So I just kind of started relaxing and, you know, doing my own thing and kind of just, you know, trying to follow the current, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And things just started, or doors just started opening for me. Things just started happening for me. Um, I just became a lot happier and more satisfied because I wasn't just constantly fighting what so obviously wasn't meant for me in the future. Yeah. So yeah, just go with the flow. That's really, really cliche advice, but just go with the no, flow. No, yeah. It, well, it's because you need, you need goals, right? Yeah. You need goals to achieve, but you, you got to take the blinders off sometimes. Totally. Right? And also when you achieve those goals, don't forget to celebrate them. That's another thing. I know way too many people who don't celebrate their birthdays. <laughs> oh my God. You only have like one or, or like six chances in a year where you can do like something really fun. Do you know what I mean? Like there's people do Christmas, people do whatever religious holiday they have. And then they do their birthdays. Yep. Maybe. And mm-hmm. then like maybe they'll do Valentine's Day. Yeah. Like, no, I'm calling you on family <laughs> day and we're going out and like partying. Like I, yep. I have to go out and celebrate something. You know what I mean? It's such a good feeling to celebrate things. So that's another piece of advice. Do not skip on your birthday. I skipped two years of my birthday because I was studying for the MCAT. Yeah. Miserable. I was so miserable <laughs> at it. No, go out and party and get balloons and cake. You got to live your life. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rosie, thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you for you sharing for your wisdom, me. your life, your experiences, you know, everything. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rosie about her paths and perspectives regarding music. Once again, my name is Caleb Ku, and that was a journey inside the musical mind. See you next time.